Well, it is good to be here. Thank you again for, for joining with us for our online service. Everyone is online once again. Uh, for those of you who might not know me, my name is Jonathan, one of the pastors here. And, uh, you know, this has, been, this has been a strange season uh, in our church. There's been lots of changes. Things continually keep on uh, changing, keeps us on our toes. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining with us. Well, I want to start off in light of all of the changes that are constantly happening around us. I want to start out with a question. And the question is, how do you respond to bad news? How do you respond uh, to bad news? What, what is your first reaction? What's your first response when, when you hear something like, uh, we're shutting down again, right? How did you respond when you heard that news? Right, I've been seeing a lot of different responses from people, ranging everything from sort of the, the disappointment side of things, right? Just not really being happy about what's going on, don't really want to go back into lockdown, to, to more of the frustration side of things, and people who are kind of angry, a little bit upset that, that there's more measures, more restrictions that are being placed upon us. So how did you respond? How did you respond when you heard the news? I'll admit my, my own response was a bit of a mixture of the two, a little bit of that disappointment. I, I love being able to actually gather together and worship together and, and do all that in person. I, I love that. So there's a little bit of disappointment, but there's also, I'll admit, a little bit of that frustration. I don't really want to go back to that, right? I don't really want to go back to lockdown. I don't want to go back to, to how uh, all, all these measures we have to take. So there's a little bit of me just kind of being selfish, saying I don't like, you know, people imposing something on me. But I had a bigger problem as I was thinking about that. And the bigger problem was I had actually already begun to prepare this message. I had already begun to study this passage and I kind of already knew what the point of the passage was. And so when I heard kind of middle of the week that, that we would be doing this now online and I thought about how I had just responded and actually what this text is all about, I realized I actually felt a little bit rebuked by it, right? We've heard the passage read already. You know, this is, this is about how the early church responded when they were being persecuted, right? Opposition was coming. And so this is really how the early church responded when they heard bad news. Now, they had been told that they couldn't preach the gospel at all. They had to stop talking. Now, we're, we're not quite there yet, but what I want us to see this morning is how they responded, what they did when they heard that bad news. See, I, I think sometimes we can see God's, God's hand in what we're preaching about on a certain day, on a certain Sunday or, or weekend or whatever, and we think to ourselves, well, that was beautifully placed. I, I don't know about you, but this one for me has been perfectly placed because my own reaction was one where I, I wanted to complain a little bit. And yet, I think this text is going to call us to do something else entirely. In fact, when the early church uh, was being persecuted, they responded with prayer and with boldness. And I think we need to learn how to respond like them because I think while we're not facing persecution, we may yet at one point actually face open persecution for our faith. And we need to learn how to be faithful in the small stuff so that when the bigger stuff comes, we will be ready. So here's what I'd like us to do uh, today. I'd like us to take some time and actually consider this passage and look at how the early church reacts to the pressure they were under. How did they respond? So if you have your Bible, let me invite you to open back up Acts chapter five, 4, sorry. Acts chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 23. 
If you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you'll know uh, this is uh, dealing with what happened to Peter and John. Peter and John went out and they did a good deed. They healed a crippled man who had been uh, crippled his entire life. As they were walking up into the temple, uh, they, they grabbed this man by the hand. He rose, he could stand, he could walk, he could run around, he could jump, he was excited because of what happened. And Peter uses this opportunity to preach, to proclaim the news of Jesus. And in fact, he proclaims that Jesus not only died, but that he rose from the dead, and he did so right in the middle of the temple. And see, not everyone was happy about uh, what they were preaching. In fact, they were arrested and they were taken in front of a trial. The same court that had just, you know, a few months earlier condemned Jesus and had him crucified is now Peter is standing before them. And Peter uh, speaks and he says, actually, I'm going to preach Jesus because there is salvation in no one else. And so they begin to threaten him because of what he was saying. They begin to threaten him uh, for what he is preaching, and, and this is really a turning point in the book of Acts. Up until now, the church has enjoyed fairly uh, open freedom to be able to preach and proclaim whatever they are wanting to do, but now opposition was increasing. In fact, it would continue until uh, they eventually take a man by the name of Stephen outside the city, and he's put to death. And so right here is a moment where the church has to decide how is it going to respond to persecution? How will they respond to opposition? In fact, the way they respond here sets a pattern for the next several hundred years of church history, and I pray it's a pattern for us as well. The church's first response was not grumbling. It was not complaining. It was not getting angry. Their first response was going to God in prayer, trusting in his sovereignty, and speaking even more boldly. So let's just take a look at that. Let's walk through our passage and see how this church responds. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. It says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Right? This is Peter and John. They're now released out of custody. They've been threatened. They've been warned not to go and preach anymore. And so the first thing they do is they go back to their friends, to, to the church. Don't know if this was a small group or, or the whole church all at once. I'm sure the church heard in short order. But what's interesting here is how they respond. Verse 24, when they heard it, these threats, they lifted their voices together to God. Here is their first response to persecution, prayer, right? They responded with prayer, if you've been following along with this series, you might say, well, I mean, yeah, of course they did. That's how they respond to basically everything that happens, right? When Jesus tells them, okay, you need to wait in Jerusalem, what do they do? Well, they spend their time praying. When they have a decision to make who's going to replace Judas, what do they do? Well, they, they pray. When the Holy Spirit finally comes, what were they doing? Well, they were praying together. When the church meets together, what do they do? They pray. When they met in homes, what did they do? They prayed. This was the pattern that was throughout the church all the time. In fact, if we read the Bible, we see it's the pattern all throughout Scripture, right? Moses, when he is confronted by Pharaoh, what does he do? He prays. When David is being attacked, what does he do? He prays. When Jesus is about to go to the cross, what is he doing? He's praying, when Judas finds him to betray him, Jesus is on his knees praying. We might say, you know, wh what's the big deal? This is what always happens in the Bible. But then let me ask you, what's your response to bad news? 
Is that how we respond? Is that our initial reaction to go to God in prayer? See, I think sometimes we've learned a lot from our culture and we've actually begun to imitate that pattern more than we have the biblical pattern. Our first reaction is often complaining. It's often arguing with people, holding on to our rights, passively aggressive comments online instead of actually learning from the pattern of Scripture and our first response is prayer. Do we want to protest our government or do we petition our king? What's our response? See, this is what the church did when they faced pressure, when they faced opposition, when they were going through trials, they prayed together. Look, we're not facing that kind of opposition right now, but let us learn how to respond like that. My worry is if we don't learn how to do this now, we'll we'll never get it when it comes later. We'll respond as our culture does. We need to begin to train that reaction, train that response so that when it comes, it's almost automatic. We just simply go to God in prayer right away. You know, it's a little bit like learning how to ski, right? If you ski or snowboard, uh, you've probably gone through a season where, where every time you went, right? You would go down the hill and every little bump, every little edge, every little groove would throw you off, right? That's, that's usually how I am snowboarding because I only go once every couple years or so. And so everything knocks me off. Every little bump is, is a problem for me. But as you actually learn to do this, as you get better and better, as you learn to do it, your body has learned how to respond to the different bumps until the point where you're not even really thinking about it. You're able to just simply go down the hill, enjoy yourself, go wherever you want. All the little bumps and grooves and edges don't actually affect you anymore. You can take on bigger things, right? You've trained your reactions to keep going. And as you master it, you're not even having to think about those reactions anymore. Your body just reacts. Well, it's the same thing in our spiritual lives. The more we train our spiritual reactions, we get to the point where every single pressure, every stress, every opposition comes with the automatic reaction of prayer. And I think, at least in some part, that is what God is doing in our church now. He's training us to learn how to react to pressure. We need to learn to react in prayer before we jump onto social media, before we complain, before we gossip about it with others. And you might say, well, okay, but I mean, I don't even know what to say half the time, right? Even if I thought, uh, you know, to to pray, I wouldn't know exactly what to say. And here's why I I love this passage, because we see not only what they do, that they pray, we're told how they pray. We're told what they asked for. In fact, I've entitled this message, Praying the Bible, because that's exactly what they are doing here. Right? They're actually praying scripture. I have shamelessly stolen that title from uh, Dr. Whitney, who wrote a book by the same title, Praying the Bible. Highly recommend it. But it's exactly what the disciples are doing here. They're using scripture to frame what they pray for. So how did the early church respond to pressure and opposition? They prayed the words of scripture. So what I'd like us to do is actually pay attention. What are they saying? Because when they... Uh, when they are praying, they're praying for things I wouldn't even think to, right? What they're asking for, I wouldn't even consider asking for, so let's pay attention to what they're saying. Look back with me, verse 24. They pray, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, 
First thing that we see that they do, they respond in prayer, and as they do so, they are trusting in God's sovereignty, right? They address God here as sovereign, right? This isn't just a descriptor. This is a title, right? A sovereign, a lord, or a king, right? Someone who is sovereign over a, a realm or domain, right? I know that's not really language we use a lot. We don't live in a kingdom. I know we have a queen, but she doesn't really have a whole lot of power, right? But in, in a true kingdom, in a genuine kingdom where you have a king who is ruling, whatever he says in his kingdom is law, right? If he declares that no one can wear purple, no one can wear purple. That's the law now, right? He's able to do whatever he wants, but even a ruler, even the most powerful king can only ever do that in his realm, right? If a king wants to exert his will in, in some other realm, he's got to trade or negotiate or, or declare war and try and take them over. So the question here is, if God is a sovereign, if God is a ruler of a place, well, what is his realm? What does God rule over? And actually, we're given the answer here, aren't we? Well, it's everything that's on earth, everything that's in the sea, and everything in the heavens above. Another way to say that would be all of creation is God's realm. God is sovereign over all of creation. Psalm 135 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth and in the seas and all the deeps. Right? God is able to do whatever he wants all throughout his creation. Everything is under God's control. He is sovereign over everything, and in fact, what we're about to see here is every one. Nothing is outside of God's control, and it is this God who has spoken to them. Look back at verse 25. They say, who, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit... I know this is a bit of a convoluted way to get about this, but if you've been with us, you'll, you'll know this is uh, how they have talked about the Bible before, right? God is the author of the scriptures, right? Through the Holy Spirit, he has spoken by the human author. In this case, it's, it's David. And so whenever the early church is talking about the Bible, they're, they're making clear that what they are referencing is not just someone's idea about God, but in fact are the very words of this sovereign God who rules over all. When we read the Bible, it is the very words of God. And so here they begin to quote from Psalm chapter two. Say, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Again, here the Bible is shaping how and what they are going to pray about. And so as they are reading through Psalm chapter two, they're realizing, well, this is actually a Psalm. This is talking about Jesus, about what would happen to Jesus. In fact, they've seen it come true. Look at verse 27. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. See, as they read Psalm chapter two, they realize that everything that happened to Jesus was actually all part of God's plan that he had worked out long before, even the opposition, right? Even Judas betraying Jesus, the, the mockery of a trial, 
Jesus being delivered before Pilate and Herod, even the crucifixion itself was all part of God's plan that was worked out long, long ago. See, God was actually in control of those who opposed Jesus. Not that they wanted to be fulfilling God's plan, but God is sovereign and he does as he pleases. He works out his plan. Proverbs chapter 16 says this, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So God is sovereign. He is in control of all that happens, even over the hearts of those who oppose him. It's why Psalm chapter two begins with, why do they plot in vain, right? Ultimately, God is the one who is in control. But here's the question. Why are they bringing this up, right? Why, why are they talking about this? Why, why is this in their prayer, right? This is a psalm that's all about Jesus, so why are they talking about it? Well, I think there's a number of reasons why they have brought this up, but, but let me point out at least two, two of the big reasons. First, they pray this way because they trust that God is still sovereign, that God is in control of all that happened with Jesus and that he is still in control of all that happens now. It's not just that God was sovereign when Jesus was on the earth working things out according to his plan then, but in fact, God is still sovereign now and working out all things according to his plan. In fact, later on, Paul will write in Romans uh, 8.28, He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I know, I know, this text sometimes has been uh, abused in the past, almost as a throwaway comment to, to dismiss someone who's feeling, you know, beat up or down. Oh, don't worry, everything's gonna work out good. Right? That, that's not really what this text is about. This is a text that is, that is based in and rooted in the sovereignty of God. In fact, this is one of the most amazing and hopeful promises we have, which is probably why it's so painful when it gets abused. The promise is for everyone who loves God, for everyone whom God has called to himself, we are given the promise that he is working all things, all things for good. Now notice that doesn't say all things for our ease or our comfort or our luxury or our wealth or even our safety. That isn't a promise that we will never face sickness or death. What it is is that even while we are sick and dying that God is working that for good. See, that is the promise that God is in control of all things, and he will work out his good plan. In fact, that includes lockdowns. That includes times of isolation. That even includes sickness. God hasn't given us this time arbitrarily. He will actually use it for our good and for his glory. See, that is the basis of their prayer. They are trusting that God is sovereign. There's no use in praying if you don't believe that God is actually able to impact something in this world. If you don't believe God is actually in control, why bother? It's just a birthday wish in the air. But actually God, but prayer is far more than that. 
It is speaking to the one who rules over all things. And the sovereign God who hears our prayers, answers and responds to them. Right? The immediate reaction of going to God in prayer is because they believed, they trusted, God is sovereign. And so going to Him as the first reaction is exactly what we ought to do. Right? They began to pray, rooting themselves in the Word of God, trusting in God's sovereignty. But I said there was another reason as well. Number one, because God is sovereign now. Number two, because God is still sovereign in the future as well. See, they had been meditating, thinking through Psalm chapter 2. And Psalm chapter 2 is all about the, the coming Messiah, speaking about Jesus, but it also gives a, a hope of what God is going to do in the future. Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. This is God speaking to the Messiah, Jesus. It says, Ask of me. And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. See, the Messiah is the one who will inherit the entire earth. God the Father would give him all things and the Messiah will rule over all the nations, even those that oppose him. And he says that those who oppose him will be like pottery clashing with iron. Right, the image here is, is sort of taking a crowbar to some clay pottery, right? If that's the image of what it's like to, to oppose Jesus, to oppose the Messiah, I mean, it's not exactly uh, an even fight, right? This isn't exactly, you know, some, some clash of titans that no one really knows what's going to happen. No, we're pretty sure that if you take a crowbar to a piece of pottery, you know exactly what's going to happen. The pottery will crack immediately. See, this is how the Bible talks about God being in control, not only now, but also in the future. So when they look at those who are threatening them, as the church is reflecting, well, how do we respond at this time? They they reflect on Psalm 2 and they realize, well, God is in control, both now and in the future. So what power do our opponents actually have? What power could they actually hold over us? All they are able to do is what God allows them to do, and he has promised that is for our good. In fact, nothing in the future shall overtake God's plan. So what need do we have to be afraid? The sovereignty of God means we can follow God without fear of what anyone can do. We continue to face pressure because we know God actually doesn't lose out, right? No disappointment overtakes God's plan. He does all that he pleases. See, this is the basis for their prayer. They trust in the sovereignty of God. So do you believe God is still sovereign today? How you answer that question will probably determine whether or not you're going to respond in prayer or you're gonna respond in Complaining, anger, in some other way. See, if we understand this foundation that God is sovereign, that he is working out all things, we can begin to understand not only why they begin to pray, but then what they pray for. Look at verse 29. Verse 29, they pray, And now, Lord, 
Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They ask God, would you grant us to continue to be speaking boldly? They have been threatened to be quiet, to stop preaching, and so their prayer is, Lord, let us speak even more. Give us the courage, give us the boldness to continue to proclaim your name. Give us more opportunities to share your gospel and the courage and desire to speak out. Instead of shrinking back when they face opposition and pressure, they speak out even more. Why? Because they trust that God is in control. And so he's going to deal with all of those who are threatening them. You notice what they say? All they pray about their opponents is, Lord, look upon their threats. God, pay attention to what they are doing. And then they just stop talking about it. Why? Because God's in control. God's going to deal with that. God is going to deal with them, and so they don't have to take anything into their own hands. What they ask for then is boldness to continue to proclaim the name of Jesus. In fact, they ask that God would continue to heal. Right? What started all of this opposition in the first place? Uh, God healed a man, and Peter used the opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. That's what started their persecution. And so now they're praying and they're saying, Lord, would you heal more? Would you do more signs and wonders and more opportunities to proclaim your name that people might believe in the name of Jesus? They're praying for the very thing that is causing them opposition. Why? Because they are not afraid. In fact, they are praying, Lord, make us even more bold. One of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 28, verse 1. It says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous is bold as a lion. I love that, right? Lions don't fear predators. They they know they're the top of the pack. They have nothing to be afraid of. And in that way, so are all who are declared righteous have nothing to fear. Now, the bad news is that no one is righteous. The Bible tells us all have fallen short, all have missed the glory of God. We've all sinned, we've all failed, we've all missed this mark this very week. I can say I've missed the mark. But the good news is that for all who trust in Jesus, all who uh, place their trust in what Jesus has done in the sacrifice for our sins, we are given his perfect record of righteousness. In Jesus, we are declared righteous. And so we have nothing to fear because before God, we have been declared righteous. And if God is on our side, what shall we be afraid of? We have nothing to fear. Romans 8 declares, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of God's creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The righteous are bold as a lion because in Jesus we have nothing to fear. So when we get bad news, what's our reaction? How do you respond when we face opposition, persecution? 
Do you fall back into that pattern of sort of fight or flight? Try and argue, get angry with other people? Or you try and scurry away and just complain about it later? Or do we go to our Heavenly Father, the one who is in control of all things, both now and in the future, and say, Lord, give me boldness to proclaim your name. I think that needs to be our response during this time. Right? Many of you probably know the story of how the church began to spread in China. A man by the name of Hudson Taylor, missionary, went to China and began to plant churches all along the coast of China. They, they had tried to get inland, but they were having troubles more and more. As Hudson Taylor died, the government began to crack down. And what they did to these churches is they decided they would try and split them up, isolate all of them so that their faith would, would wane and they would fade away. What they did, however, was become one of the largest missionary sending agencies in the world because they took Christians and they spread them all throughout China and instead of fading away, they began to pray this prayer. Lord, give me boldness to proclaim your name. And the churches began to grow everywhere. Today, there are more Christians in China than there are people in Canada. It's because God answers prayers like this. Look at the last verse in our passage. It says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. See, God answered this prayer with yes. He filled them with the Holy Spirit. In fact, even shook the building they were in, and they went out and they continued to speak with boldness. The church continued to grow in a time of persecution. So let me ask again, what is our reaction? When we're pressured, when we face difficulty and opposition, when things just aren't as easy as they once were, how do we react? Have we become like those who are fleeing with no one pursuing? Or have we prayed, Lord, make me bold as a lion for your name? See, God answers that prayer. He gives us the Holy Spirit, lights his church on fire to proclaim the the name of Jesus in difficult days. We may yet come to a point where we are openly persecuted for our faith, so we need to learn now how to respond. Let us train our reaction, train that response to be one of prayer, trusting in the sovereignty of God and asking for boldness to continue to speak. See, that is our call no matter where we are. I I don't know where you are right now. As you listen to this, maybe you're at your home. Maybe you're in your car driving and just listening. But wherever you are, take a moment and just simply look around. Look out the window. Who has God placed around you? Do you have neighbors, people down the street that you know need some extra help? Tomorrow, are you going to school or work? Who has God in his sovereignty placed there? And let me challenge you, would you begin to pray this prayer? Lord, give me the boldness to speak the name of Jesus. See, this needs to be our response in difficult days. That we go to God in prayer, trusting in his sovereignty, and then speaking boldly the name of Jesus. Let that be our response in these times. 
as we hear bad news, would we respond like this? So now let me ask, would you pray with me? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are sovereign over all creation. Lord, the the heavens above declare your glory. The sea teeming with life displays your, your creativity. And Father, you have made all things around us. And Lord, you have placed us here by your hand and your plan. And so, Father, I I pray, would we not run away? Lord, we confess our response is not always right. Father, forgive us. Allow us to continue to speak your name with boldness. Father, give us courage as we go out into this week. Lord, whoever you place around us, give us the opportunity to be able to proclaim your name so that your gospel might go forward. Lord, I pray, heal hearts this week. Lord, use us as you have scattered us now. Lord, I pray, would your gospel go with us that we might be bold to proclaim your name. Father, I pray, build your kingdom. Father, I pray, work your plan in this world and give us your Holy Spirit that we might be bold as a lion to proclaim the name of Jesus, the salvation that is found in him. Father, I pray, keep us and give us this courage and boldness that we might follow you. In your name we pray, amen, amen.